Why, hello there, priests. You have found the hardest book review podcast there is, where we digest life-changing books. We shit out greatness, and we change our lives one book at a time. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's go. And here we go. Welcome back. This is Troy Hollings with the Curiously Disagreeable Podcast. This is episode three of The Four Hour Chef. Kind of a cookbook, but mostly Tim Ferriss's deconstruction of how to fucking learn his exact methods that if we could take this if we could master this we could apply this to becoming an auto mechanic becoming good at sales becoming a ballet dancer or juggling a hundred human heads we've gone through the dis methodology so far we've talked about deconstruction we've talked about selection we've talked about sequencing and now we're going to talk about stakes and then we're going to move into Cafe, his other tool. And then we're going to close this bitch up. Steaks, the carrot and the stick. If you were to sum up the last 50 years of behavioral psychology in two words, it would be logic fails. I would also say everybody's pussies. No matter how good a plan is, how thorough a book is, or how sincere our intentions, humans are horrible at self-discipline. No one is immune. And now, like, I read this and I was getting fucking triggered. Like, I do discipline, but I, I think what he's saying is there's always another level. Like, yeah, maybe I'll shoot my bow every day. But if I really wanted to be disciplined, I really wanted to fucking win, like, I could shoot it 15 minutes five times a day. I don't have the discipline to fucking do that. Shit, there's always another level. But what if you truly want to get something done? In this book, your goal will be cooking two times per week. Is there a way to create an Odysseus contract so named because Odysseus, that guy who uh, had the sailors tie him to the mast to resist the temptation of the sirens? Can you failure proof your decisions? For hints, we can look at auction behavior. And so he brings up a really interesting app, which I don't think it actually ever took off. And I bet that he actually was like a venture fund. I bet he was an angel investor in this. I bet I could Google it and figure it out because he like always sneakily promotes things. But um, all good, all good. I, I don't. I, I'm not hating dog. Uh, but Stick was this app where like if you don't fulfill your commitment, it automatically tells your friends. So first of all, I like I tell my friends, hey, I'm gonna work out five days a week. And then if I don't work out, it automatically tells them. And so like you know I enter in this agreement where if I don't do this, you may shame me. But then also, if you don't hit like your macro level goal, you can set up an anti-charity. So what is what is the charity that you hate the most? Maybe it's Planned Parenthood. Maybe it's the NRA. I don't know. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's the Nazi party. But um, pick a charity you despise. One that you'd rather, and this is a quote from Tim, you'd rather slam your head in a car door Fuck, that has to have happened to someone out there, dude. Imagine you're like getting in the door and someone slams it and they slam the fucking door on your head. Oh, shit. So, okay, sorry. The whiskey's making me very empathetic about that. But um, based on Sticks Research, so that's the company, um, no stakes. So just like saying, this is a goal. 33% of the time, people are successful with stakes so like shame me and or donate to the nazis if i fucking don't do this 
72.8% of the people succeed. A goal without real consequences is wishful thinking. Good follow-through doesn't depend on the right intentions. It depends on the right incentives. Now, this is so true. And ever since I read this and since college, I've been doing this where um, these accountability bets because like i was too cheap to do the damn stick app so we just did our own me and my friend so like jordy was one of the ones that i've got these accountability bets with a lot um but the best example i have of how this how this really drives behavior is um i really really wanted to kill a deer uh three or four seasons ago and you know and i i had like gotten one and then i had a whole season i don't even, i don't remember i really wanted to do it um i think i'd gotten one um, but I, I bet my wife $250, which at the time and, and still now was a lot. If I didn't kill her, kill a deer, I'd pay her $250. It was amazing how my behavior changed. You know, that season was also unreasonably cold at the end of the season. So like weeks of below zero temperature and I didn't own hunting boots yet. And so I probably went out 40 or 50 times fucking froze. You know, I sucked at hunting too. So like I would just, I would, I, I like even saw a deer, but I just had set up somewhere so stupid that they saw me or something. And, but there was, there was no question that I was going to try my best. The last day of season, I went out alone, minus 10 degree weather, continuously for four hours, squeezing my toes to keep them from getting frostbite. I started shivering at 20 minutes in and stayed out for like four hours. And I had a deer run by at 45 yards and I didn't you know didn't shoot it because it was I had my bow and I, I just didn't want to like wound it um, but I'm not kidding it actually took me five days to, to like truly deepen my bones warm back up from that experience um, but there is zero chance that I would have been that dedicated if I just set the goal of I'm gonna hunt hard this year because hunt hard could mean try hard with the constraint of not going out anytime I might get hypothermia but with, with, when I had stakes on the outcome, radically different relationship to, to that season. And if you think about it from an investment perspective, think of how small of investment that really is, $250 on the spectrum of other investments, to, to be driven to that level. And so I actually currently have an accountability bet with Jordy that if I don't take three classes and uh, listen to the sales audiobook five times through, I will give him my Benelli shotgun, which is so nice of a shotgun. It's never going to happen. I'll get it done. But just those stakes being set up, you know, I looked at the calendar and was like, God damn it, I, you know, the year's progressing. I better get moving. So that ends the stake section. And as promised, if we're adding to the mnemonic, and don't get mad, man, repetition builds fucking remembering, so shut your mouth. I'm sorry. So just, just deal with it. Uh, so we're trying to remember this and cafe. Okay. So we, we walk up to the Starbucks that we remember our local Starbucks. We look at the sign and it says cafe. Well, that's fucking weird. Uh, that's a stupid ass name. Okay. Cafe. We walk in and we see two guys standing on the tables, dissing each other with the old mama jokes. Okay. That remembers this. But now... One of them hits the other with such a savage yo mama joke that he explodes, blood, brains everywhere. You get an ear in your eye. Deconstruction. The crowd cheers. There's there's a voice on the loudspeaker. And we've selected our new champion. Selection. They raise the hand above the head. Now, the new leader, well, 
what, what he has to do is he's got to raise an army to fight vampires. And a little known fact about vampires is that they, they cannot kill short people. So he's got to order everybody in the, in the cafe by height. So he's moving people around. Hey, who's the line leader? Get up here. Go back there. Get up here. But now, because what are they going to go kill? They're going to kill vampires. How do you kill vampires? Stake in the heart. So the shortest people, the army of midgets, a.k.a. little people, probably don't want to be called pygmies. They get handed some stakes, sawed off stakes, sharpened. They're about to go enter a vampire war. That is how we'll remember stakes in this mnemonic. So we're, we're through the main principles. The you know 80-20 has been, been done. I, I think we probably covered the maybe covered the 15% that gets us 55% of the way there. But let's uh let's go into the cafe method now. So the so this is the are the principles. Okay, those are the those are the big categories of things we need to think about. Cafe, these are the tactical tools that help us. So C A, because the A is silent because of the acronym. Compression. I'm sorry for the length of my letter, but I had not the time to write a short one. And we're overwhelmed by a deluge of information all the time. To eat carbs, not eat carbs, only eat meat, vegetables, fruit. What the fuck do we do? To stem this tide of information, Tim says, I have a constant checkpoint posted over the walkway in my atrium. Above the sign rests the beautiful and brutal Nepalese kukri, a curved knife symbolic of the legendary Gurkha military regiments. Field Marshal Sam Manishaw, former chief of staff of the Indian Army, was once quoted saying, if a man says he's not afraid of dying, he's either lying or a Gurkha. The blade is in my home to remind me of the importance of decision. The word decision, closely related to incision, derives its meaning from a cutting off. Making effective decisions and learning effectively requires massive elimination and the removal of options. The easiest way to avoid being overwhelmed is to create positive constraints. Put up walls to dramatically restrict whatever it is you're trying to do. Now, I do this shit all the time. And it's interesting, reading this after not having read it for like eight or nine years, 10 years, fucking, I'm old now, dog. It's almost like giving me clues to where ideas that I thought were my own originated because setting constraints, I do that all the time. I say, hey, I set the constraint that I'm going to work from roughly 7.30 a.m. to 4.30 Monday through Friday and never on the weekend. And I've broken this, I don't know, roughly three times in the past year, but I'm performing at the highest level. Like, And I don't mean that to be arrogant, but like to the point that, you know, I, like I couldn't, I could work more hours, but I couldn't do any better. Like I, I could, I'm doing the outcomes as best I fucking can. But I, it's interesting when you set those constraints, uh, I just know that those are my only hours to get this done. And I just set my life up around those hours and I make it happen. Because in a world of work, a task will swell in complexity to fill the time you allotted it. And he brings up, how does so much get done before you leave for the holidays? Um, you know, it's just, it's again, like, oh shit, surprise, surprise. If the deadline to file your taxes is this date, it's so weird how everybody just happens to be done at this date. So, vastly simplified, in the world of cooking, Lee Chatelier's principle is invoked to remember that a gas will expand to fill the size of its container. 
So all we have to do is create a tiny container, the wonderful one pager. Only what fits on your one pager is what you can focus on. The goal here is to make something intimidating, unintimidating, so you don't quit. You have the rest of your life to seek out and master the exceptions, to be comprehensive if you want. So there's two types of one pagers he recommends as the, you know, this is the toolbox, okay? So we got the principles, we got the fucking house, but this is the toolbox, and there's two types. One is prescriptive, so this is the principles that help you generate the real world example. In short, these are the rules. And the second is practice. So this is the practice one patron. So this is this is the real world world example to practice that indirectly teaches the principles. So let's that's like a bunch of fucking words, but let's take a look at the prescriptive one pager. Um, so like let, let me give you a shooting example. Okay, so remember prescriptive one pager, this is like the principles, these are the rules. So this is where I figure out, okay, if I wanted to become top five in a, in a local IDPA match in 2022, what are, the, what are the ingredients that I would need to have? And I actually mapped this out and I'm thinking of uh, putting in an actual PDF and then sending it to Tim, like doing a whole damn guest blog post email to him and assuming it's going to go nowhere, but you know, he might respect me. Um, so I think there's four things. One is if, if you had, and I, I wrote down YouTube meme level accuracy of slow aimed fire out to 70 yards. So if, if you were using your pistol and you could be like, like so good that it would be shared on YouTube, that you're that accurate with slow, deliberate fire out to 70 yards with your pistol. That's one ingredient. Second is if you're incredibly fast doing drills, timed drills in three to 10 yards. So, you know, turn, draw, boom, 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 reload, boom, 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 El Presidente, whatever. The the third is transitions. So there's a lot of improvement that can be made, I think, in the in the transitions when you're, you know, transitioning from one target to the, to the other. You know, don't just move your gun, like, you know, rip it and then pause. So like practice those moving and like you the whole drill is just moving and then and then the the fourth is fundamentals resiliency in my mind so like i fucked around doing some you know run to the end of the range run back run to the end of the range run back you know fire two shots run fire run and it's amazing how if you haven't practiced something it just degrades but it's also amazing if you if you do that drill 10 times you're you're now like 98% as good, even though your heart rate's up, your breathing's crazy. So that would be like the prescriptive one pager. We'll just say, you know, the what are the four buckets? What are the five bullets under each bucket that you can focus on? This is all you're going to fucking focus on. So you're not going to focus on mid-range stuff. You're not going to focus on like, you know, just going out and shooting for fun. These are the four things. This is the prescriptive one pager. The second is the practice one pager. So in that same example, that would be your specific pl- practice plan and structure. So, you know, how many days a week are you shooting? How many days a week are you doing dry fire? What are the drills that you're doing for dry fire? What are the drills you're shooting? You know, and, and mapped out exactly. And he says, when you're an autodidact, which means self-taught, learning a subject solo, practice one pagers are wonderful for testing and keeping motivated. Just remember, he says, always be compressing. 
The secret to low stress, high speed learning is compression. And that's it. The compression with a principal one pager and a practice one pager. Okay. And so because uh, repetition again, we're going to remember this. I, my goal is that three months from now, priest, you remember this stupid fucking mnemonic. And by remembering it, you're actually out in the world. And you're like, I need to learn this. And you're like, let me deconstruct it the fucking component parts. Oh, shit. Okay, this is the 20%. Oh, what order should I put this in? Okay, let me do an accountability bet. You make yourself a couple one-pagers, and then you get promoted for doing the mnemonic. We're trying to remember Dis and Cafe. Okay, so we're outside the Starbucks, our local Starbucks. We look up. We see the sign. It says Cafe. That's a weird fucking name. That encapsulates Cafe. We go in. We see two guys on a table doing Yo, yo Mama jokes. They're dissing each other. That encapsulates Dis. Now, if we're getting a little bit more specific, one disses the other with a savage one-liner. That guy explodes. You get hit in the eye with an ear. That is deconstruction. Then, the crowd goes crazy on the intercom, and we selected our new champion. Hand get raised. That is selection. He's been selected. Okay? Well, now, since he's selected, he actually has to lead them in a battle against the vampire army and a little known fact about vampires is they they can't kill short people so he has to order everybody in the cafe by height get from one you know you go over here you go over here you go over here okay ordering that's sequence okay sequencing now once he got that once he has everybody by height the shortest 50 percent what does he give them what do you kill vampires with a steak Okay, so now, he, he, walking out the cafe, leading the army of midgets with a stake. Oh, they all bump in and everybody falls down. One of them actually hits, stabs himself in the eye. They fall over a box filled with Under Armour compression shirts and one-pagers. And so, the, the leader who's been selected, he says, Okay, men and women, we have to put on these, these Under Armour shirts and we have to put... We have to put this paper in the shirt and it'll protect us from the vampires. So everybody takes their shirts off. Now this is where, this is where you, it's, I'm not even kidding. If you look into mnemonics, something disgusting, something so shocking, or something sexual will help you remember. So everybody takes their shirts off when there's girls there. So picture that. Oh yeah. And uh, everybody puts the one pagers in their, uh, in their, their Under Armour shirt and they put the shirt back on. And then they're off. Okay, and that actually is double duty. That that uh, is the first part of cafe. That's the compression. But I also wanted us to remember one pagers. So the one pagers inside the Under Armour shirt. Now we move to F. Two more parts of this cafe. We'll close this bitch up, and then we'll ride the lightning. Frequency cramming six months of culinary school into 48 hours so i'm going to summarize this and say like tim goes fucking crazy and cooks for 48 hours straight um he has like two 16 hour days of cooking he makes a meal whatever uh my sunday morning both jay-z so i, I don't think that's the jay-z i think that's a chef uh, and I had Frankenstein hands from grabbing salt and washing our hands every five to ten minutes. They were swollen to 150% their normal size. And Tim did it. Yay! Little details, big results. How you do anything is how you will do everything. That's a quote from John Wooden, some basketball player from Indy, or coach from Indiana. 
He had his players the beginning, at the beginning of the season learn how to put their socks on, step by step, during their first all-team meeting. Dr. Atul Gawande explained why he did this in his New Yorker article. Oh, hey, Dr. G, why didn't you respond to my fucking tweets or my emails for the Checklist Manifesto episode? Whatever. But Dr. G apparently had enough time to respond to Tim for his fucking book, and he said, John Wooden had two purposes. One was wrinkles cause blisters. Two, he wanted his players to learn how crucial seemingly trivial details could be. Okay. I'm getting fired up, but the the principle here is for whatever you're doing, there's a frequency that makes you most effective. And it might be not at all similar to the norm. So, you know, six months of culinary school in 48 hours is insane. And, you know, and I'm sure that like Tim would have to do some sort of post 48 hour block remediation schedule or he'd lose everything. But like, it's interesting of like can you take this assumption it has to be six months well even if you did it in a week hmm that's really interesting even if you did it in a week with like three weeks of like remediation well now you did it in a month and so like we're just going to use an archery example and and i don't think this is technically true but i think it's reasonably true so when you're when you're looking to learn archery conventional wisdom is just just shoot your bow a lot and so and i mean and that's like directionally right But uh, for my first season of really practicing, I shot my bow a lot. Like, I I shot through three fucking D-loops in the first one. Well, the first, yeah. So the first one, I, uh, so a D-loop, you clip your little release into it. But when it gets, like, worn down, you get to a point where the D-loop is so, like, frazzled that you pull it back and you just punch yourself in the fucking face so hard with like 70 pounds of resistance with the metal wrist release and i gave myself a black eye and i'm like fuck and i try again i do it again and then i buy a new wrist release on amazon throw my old one away because i'm so stupid and then i'm like i wait five days i'm pissed because i want to be practicing first shot boom i hit myself in the eye again and so i I learned oh okay i need to tie a d-loop and uh but so i shot a lot to say and, you know, I'd shoot, I'd shoot 10 arrows at a time. I'd walk, I'd go get them and I'd shoot for an hour, like five times a week, well, a lot. But what I found was that pushed me to a point of unhelpful muscular failure and, and actually like built bad habits for me. Uh, so like the best analogy I've got for that is, so, uh, the first time I ever went rock climbing when I was like 13, um, you know, I was a pretty good at it cause I was good at doing pull-ups, but uh, you know, my forearms were so brutally sore the next day. And I was supposed to go golfing <laughs> at the time. And dude, I, di- I legit didn't have the nuance in my hands to hold the club correctly. And we were supposed to play 18 holes. I think we, I think I made it through like five and I sat in the cart and I was a little baby and it was so hard to be around. But I was basically ineffective. Um, and so when you look at practicing archery or whatever skill... Uh, you know, maybe you can cleverly diagnose that the first 15 minutes is where 85% of the benefit comes from and everything else is just like diminishing returns junk and, and push too far like I did. Maybe it's actually detrimental. So, you know, if you look at someone shooting one hour, one hour per day, six days a week versus what if 
you know, six days a week, actually they're really getting like 15 minutes of solid practice plus a little bit of crap. And if they shoot too long, it regresses. So that's happening six times per week. So what if you say, well, you know what? I work from home. I'm going to shoot my bow for 15 minutes, six times a day. And if you think about it, that's really only one and a half hours, which that's aggressive, but like not really much more aggressive than that other person. Um, but if, and this is like not true, I'm just, this is a thought experiment, but since the, since the first 15 minutes is where you get 80% of the benefit, you're effectively getting like a week's worth of, of that person's practice in a day. So like they're doing that over a week, you know, they're doing an hour, six days a week. But if that 15 minute, that first 15 minutes is really where all of the shit happens and, and you do 15 minutes, six times a day, you're getting a week's worth of practice in a day. You stack 52 days, that's less than two months. And you've crammed a year's worth of their practice into less than two months. So positioned like that with all the other tools he's teaching us, it's not unreasonable to imagine catching someone who's been doing archery for five years in like six months. Now, I don't know if any of you are thinking of this, but uh, Tim brings up the great point. Well, what about the 10,000 hours rule? And Tim uh, says, for those not on the bandwagon, the so-called 10,000 hours rule is based on a study by Anders Ericsson, we've talked about him, and popularized by Malcolm Gladwell. Also talked about him very rudely and just called him a curly-headed fuck, but his book is okay. Uh, his book, Outliers, uh, it dictates in simple terms that becoming world-class at something requires 10,000 hours of deliberate practice. Accumulating 10,000 hours requires 20 hours a week for 10 years. So how can I claim that becoming world-class is attainable in six months? Well, first, I define world-class very specifically, the top 5% in a given field. Correlation doesn't mean causation. The fact that 10 out of 10 top violinists practice 10,000 hours over a certain period of time doesn't mean that this volume alone is what made them world-class. Training method can have an exponential impact on per hour yield. Patterns can be meaningful, but so can anomalies. The tools of learning are not fixed, nor is the amount of time needed to become world-class. Okay, good, good, uh, very crazy disagreement of the 10,000 hours rule. So my assessment is that the 10,000 hours rule is helpful in that if you truly wanna master anything, you need to be prepared for the long haul. Like, yeah, my 15 minute archery example is great. If you can find that 15 minutes, that's cool. But there's some things that are so nuanced that like the 5% that gives you 60% of the benefit, dude, that's murky. That'll take you like a year or two to even figure out because you don't know what you don't know. And so, and I also felt like when I first came into contact with Tim's methods, like four hour work week, I was like, I was thinking about work as like a intrinsic evil. So it's like, how can I work the least? Like uh, I need to be living my life and not working. How can I fucking work the least? And so, you know, I felt this like deep dissatisfaction with like the concept of having to work so fucking hard. Cause it's like, I just need to, I just need to life hack my way through this. And so I think what I now have arrived at is like, I had to go to Jocko 
to come back to Tim, where I just take Tim's methods here to say, be on the lookout for smarter ways you can do everything, but dude, be fucking prepared to strip the wallpaper with your teeth if necessary, but really try to look for the scraper. Now, that was the F of cafe. So for continuing with the, with the mnemonic, you walk up to Starbucks, you look at the sign, cafe, holy shit, what a dumb fucking name. That's cafe. You open the door, you see two guys on the table dissing each other, that's diss. Okay, got it. One hits him with the uh, one hits the other with such a savage diss that he explodes. You get an eye, you get an ear in your eye. Deconstruction. The crowd goes wild. The speakers go off. Selection. They raise the hand above the head. You've been selected to fight against the vampires, but Little known fact about vampires is they cannot kill short people, so you've got to arrange. So you've got to arrange everybody in a line. Hey, you go over here. You go over here. You go over there. You go over there. Sequencing, and now they find the half of the cafe that's the shortest. They hand them steaks. Here you go. It's time to kill vampires. Everybody is gung ho. They walk out of the cafe. They trip over a box, and in the box, there's Under Armour shirts and there's one pagers, and so. What do you got to do? Well, you know, vampires can't go through one-pagers, so everybody's got to take off their clothes <laughs> and uh, got to put the one-pagers under the Under Armour shirts. There's even girls around, so use your imagination. Picture it. Oh, the glory. And uh, so you got the one-pagers on. You got the, the one-pager in the compression shirt, and that stands for compression, the first part of cafe. Now, you all have your stakes. You all have your your uh, Under Armour shirts with the one-pagers, and you start walking, and as soon as you start walking, you look up, and you see an open-air gym right in front of the cafe, just like Gold's Gym outside in California, and there's two roided-up dudes yelling at each other. And you're like, well, I thought we were looking for vampires. This is interesting. Well, one is Dorian Yates. And if you know about bodybuilding, this will be helpful. If you if you don't, you're going to use your imagination. But um, there's Dorian Yates. The other's a Bulgarian guy. Now, uh, if you don't know about who those people are, Dorian Yates, what he said is go complete and total muscular failure one time a week. The Bulgarian people, they say max out every fucking day. And so they're screaming at each other. They're yelling, my frequency is the best. No, my frequency is the best. No, one time a week, seven days a week, one time a week. And you're like, are these, are these roid monkeys going to kill each other? And that encodes frequency because they're arguing about the frequency of training. And we finish up this whole shit with E encoding. So of the cafe method, E encoding is making slippery ideas stick. Palo Alto, California. Oh, haha, is that your water? The woman asked to me, the woman next to me asked, I'd grab the water, uh, I'd grab the wrong water again. Once again, I found myself somehow at a dinner with sign seating, penguin suits, and polished fake laughter. At my last outing, I thought a beauty at the table was flirting with me. That coy smile, it turned out I just splattered tomato sauce all over my white shirt. Elbows on the table, check. Stealing the wrong bread, check. Saying horrible language, check. What a simple law, what is a simple Long Island boy to do? But just a year ago, I learned three memory devices that have prevented my brutish manners from making me look like a complete animal. B and D. Okay, so make the okay sign with both hands. 
touching in index fingers to thumb. Okay, look down at your hands. Which one's the B? Which one's the D? Okay, so your left hand's the B. The right hand is the D. Well, bread is on the left. Drink is on the right. There we go. Well, another one he found. Left has four letters. Right has five. The fork has four letters. It goes on the left. The knife and spoon each have five. They go on the right. Work from the outside in is how you uh, go through and you, you like use your fucking silverware at like a nice ass restaurant, which I actually don't like care about this at all because I've never been anywhere, no matter how I'm dressed, no matter, you know, whatever, like that's not going to take your money. And if I, if they're not going to actually take my money because I use the wrong fork, like bitch, I'll go to Taco Bell. But thank you, Tim. Very helpful because mnemonics and encoding, they convert the unfamiliar and unwieldy to familiar and manageable. And so, the, again, we've talked about this, but these, these memory devices, they come in uh, several shapes and sizes. You know, there's acronyms, there's songs. Uh, he talks about the PEG method. So read this. It's kind of interesting, actually. Um, you know, it's, it's using a part of your brain that remembers things deeply, like spatial memory, to remember shit it struggles with, like numbers. And so um, he, he tells the story of when he was in Japan, he had a friend, Tanaka, and he called over one of our classmates and said, how about this, Tim-san? Nakajima. What is 20, 287 times 965? Nakajima, standing still, locked his eyes upwards and to the right. His index finger danced in the air, and after a few seconds, he hurriedly spit out the answer. 276,955. Tim was speechless. How about 156 times 643? Uh, 100,308. What? He held back a minute, enjoying my confusion. Then he gave a hint. Soroban dyo. So a hint in Japanese. And it basically means an abacus, dude. Nakajima has had used an abacus so extensively in primary school that he no longer needed it to compute. He simply visualized it. Nakajima wasn't particularly smart, nor was he unique. Many Japanese school kids can do the same thing. Becoming a human calculator was just a matter of internalizing the age-old abacus. So that is an example of, like, imagine that you deconstruct the, the skill of your job and you realize, if I could do fucking complex math in my head, I would be 700 times better than everyone. So you learn an abacus so deeply that now you're 700 times better than everyone. Um, just, just like as an example. But So that's encoding. That's a mnemonic. Um, so Tim, uh, he decides to start memorizing serial numbers on dollar bills as like a party trick. And dude, this was too boring to actually fucking read. So I'm sure he uh, created a system where each number was some sort of a picture and then like had a logical way of categorizing the picture so he wouldn't forget. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I, so I looked at it. Yep. Something like that. Uh, useless skill. Um, but hey, then he talks about the Roman room method. So um, all of that shit to say, as you're going through this dis, you know, the dis are the principles. You, you split everything, you skill up. This is what you should focus on. You know, we've got some techniques at the cafe, but then it doesn't matter if you have this really cool method, if you forget it all. So you've got to cleverly encode it somehow. Maybe it's the Roman room method. Maybe it's a song. Maybe it's, you know, the pegboard method that he talks about. Maybe it's uh, an acronym, but... 
Um, you got to encode it somehow. And speaking of encoding it, let's finish up this damn mnemonic, okay? Walk with me. Go into the Starbucks locally. You look up. You see the sign. It says cafe. You say, that's a weird fucking name. That's cafe. You open the door. Two guys on the table dissing each other. Yo, mama's so fat. The door couldn't even find her, bitch. And then that guy. So that's diss. And then that guy explodes. You get an ear in your eye. That's deconstruction. The crowd goes wild. He raises his hand. Selection. You got to order everybody for the vampire war by height. That is sequencing. Now the short people of the army of midgets, they get a stake. That stake's gonna go kill the vampires. They run out of the cafe. They trip and fall over a box filled with one-pagers and Under Armour shirts. They all have to take their shirts off. Some of them are girls. Think about it. And then you put the, the one-pagers under the compression shirts. That is compression. They, they walk out, and across the street, they see a gym. It's a gold gym. It's outside, and they see Dorian Yates. And they see a Bulgarian guy yelling at each other about frequency. My frequency be is better. No, mine's better. They're about to fight. What the hell is going on? That is frequency. So that's the calf part. And the last is encoding. So you quickly turn away. The gym's across the street. You turn to the right. And you're walking by an office building. And you look through the window. So you still see on your left, you see the gym. Because it's important with these mnemonics, you need to tie them to each other. Uh, but so on your left, you still see the gym. You know, back behind you, you still see the cafe. But you're walking. You see a you see an office building. You look through the window. And you see a, a huge supercomputer. And then is that a naked guy? Holy shit! That's a naked guy. Wait, is that a vampire or a naked guy? But when he turns around, you see. And, and I'm sorry, priest, but making these dirty and sexual actually makes you remember them so much better it's google it i'm not making it up i forgive me lord jesus but turn around naked guy he is making love to the giant computer oh my god no and he looks like it's the world's biggest misunderstanding but like it's so obvious what he's doing he runs at us fully nude and still attached to the computer no guys i'm just programming it i'm encoding it and and we all run back into the cafe and that programming that encoding that is how we remember encoding and so i would suggest please because if you if you think through that mnemonic slowly and you and you truly think about it 20 times and then once a week you think about it two times and then once a month, you think about it one time, you can remember that, that piece of information just as well forever. <sighs> Holy shit. That finishes his enhanced learning section. Which honestly, it's only like 100 of his 600 pages, but it's clearly the best. So uh, just for comedic relief, I'm just going to disrespectfully blast through the rest of the book, pulling out interesting things for y'all, and then we'll close this whore up, and I'll let you guys out early to continue pursuing the path of being rich, jacked, and a god among men. So fun facts and dismissive summary. Tim didn't know a Dutch oven was a type of cookware and thought it was just when you farted under the covers. Great job. Tim believes in pseudoscience and he changed his diet and raised his testosterone and got humped by a dog at his friend's house and he is sure it's because he optimized his testosterone. Okay, little buddy, who was just talking about correlation? You, I, I think you got humped by a dog because you were dressed like that and you were asking for it. 
Next, Tim loves gadgets and name-dropping famous people. Next, Tim cooked salmon in the sink like he was in fucking jail. Next, Tim bought a fake gun and declared it on airplanes so people don't lose his bag since airlines don't lose bags containing weapons. Uh, then, he built a fucking golem hole in the woods and now he knows how to survive. And then he ate some acorns. He has a diagram showing us how to catch street pigeons and like loosely tells us not to eat them, but it, but he's obviously eating them. <laughs> You know, it's, it's like when you order those brass knuckle paperweights. Uh, yeah, buddy. Yeah, someone be munching on some pigeon. And then finally, he taught us all how to cook. Amen. Tim's closing this up. Memento Mori. How many perfect days have you had in the last six months? Much more importantly, how many will you have in the next six months? The Latin memento mori is often translated as remember you will die. For me, it's a call to action and a benevolent warning not to squander time. I'm often asked how I define success. It's an overused term, but I fundamentally view this elusive beast as a combination of two things, achievement and appreciation. Achievement without appreciation makes you ambitious but miserable. Appreciation without achievement makes you unambitious but happy. I've always been hardwired for achievement at all costs. Protestant work ethic, college, job, retirement, and all that. Forward motion, competing, competing and competing. It's culturally written in my DNA and I enjoy the fight. But to avoid making myself and my loved ones miserable, I need tools for that missing ingredient. Appreciation. Perhaps the most valuable tool I've found is cooking. Done as I recommend it, it teaches you to become fully conscious and aware of the incredible things that you already have. My perfect day costs next to nothing. The good news is that slow meals twice a week with friends and family just might be the secret to life. I hope to see you on the journey. Well, holy shit. One of the most iconic scenes in any movie ever, in my humble opinion, is that scene in the movie The Town where Ben Affleck goes to his bro Hawkeye, whatever that guy's name is, and says, I need your help. I can't tell you what it is. You never can ask me about it. and We're going to hurt some people. And he says, whose car are we taking? Or that scene in 300 when Leonidas is consoling his general who just saw his son beheaded. And Leonidas says, my heart is broken for your loss. And then this guy looks to him with insanity in his eyes and he says, heart, what heart? I have filled my heart with hate. And then Leonidas just says, good. <laughs> but aside from those, is that scene in the Matrix where Neo fucking downloads all those martial arts. Want to learn jujitsu? Download it. Want to learn boxing? Download it. Maybe chess? Yup. Download it. And that scene is presented as so other to how the world works. It's impossible. People are good at some things and bad at others. And maybe, maybe you could learn a new martial art, but get prepared for years and years of toil. And yeah, dude, you're probably too old or too weak or too lazy. You just can't do it. So accept your lot in life be normal, have a good job, and just shut the fuck up and wait to die. But maybe, maybe there's a better way. 
a different way, a path of achievement, a path of using cleverness, mental models, mnemonics, and the way of the samurai to master anything you put your mind to, any skill, simple or complex, soft or hard, quantitative or qualitative, the matrix, but real life. That is what Tim laid out here, an operating system. And this operating system can be applied to learning any skill, any pursuit, anything, the way. And as we go out into the world, a quote by the great Miyamoto Musashi, there is nothing outside of yourself that can ever enable you to get better, stronger, richer, quicker, or smarter. Everything is within. Everything exists. Seek nothing outside of yourself. Thank you. Thank you very much. And that's my pretties is another episode down of the Curiously Disagreeable podcast. Check us out at CuriouslyDisagreeable.com, the Troy Hollings on Instagram, or wherever the fuck you get your podcasts. The end.